program everybody you just stepped inside of psychotic bump school the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul my name is dj rome and i want to welcome you to another exciting edition of psychotic bump school during this first week of may so ladies and gentlemen tonight oh we have an amazingly full show to kick off the month of may in 2021 so check this out uh we got several people coming through the school tonight we have katina watts joining us this evening y'all she's a social worker out in georgia and she's the co-founder of i learn at the kitchen tables now she's going to be breaking down this amazing homeschool school without borders that she's co-founded with a previous guest of ours ziamari unique and now we're going to have katina watts social worker discussing and further breaking down the intricacies of i learn at the kitchen table so that's katina watts joining us this evening we're also going to have an amazing dating panel ladies and gentlemen we're going to be talking to Lori peacock aaron wiley sands nicholas mays and dr chase moore and we're going to be breaking down the particulars of modern and postmodern dating and love and relationships in the wake of corona virus and beyond so that's going to be an amazing conversation and we're going to be paying tribute this evening to the late great greg jacobs okay so greg jacobs aka shock g humpty hump of the legendary bay area rap group digital underground as you know he passed away last week and we're going to be having uh one of his friends longtime friends naru quina all right longtime friend of his naru quina and Shock G go back a long time. And um, Naru is gonna help us to pay tribute and understand the life and times of Shock G. And uh, as we pay tribute to this Bay Area legend who passed away. Uh, they say they passed away in threes, y'all. That's Black Rob, DMX, and now the good brother out of California. Not originally out of California, but uh, by way of California, um, Shock G. It's gonna be an amazingly full show, so you might wanna call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWGTheTruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We're gonna kick off our show after this. You know you never forget that. Oh, <laughs> 
of Los Angeles. Okay, we are back. KCWG, the truth.com. This program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome, and I am so excited to welcome this guest. I've been waiting a little while, but the while has been waited, as they say in hip hop. And uh, speaking of hip hop, I know this uh, next guest has a, a bit of a musical pedigree and background, so I want to hear about that too. But the main reason why this guest is here, ladies and gentlemen, she's actually the COO of I Learn at the Kitchen Table. And that name sounds familiar. We had our previous guest, Ziamara Unique here a few weeks ago to share what that company is all about, a homeschooling uh, company over there in uh, Georgia, I believe. And that's where our next guest is from. I mean, she, she's been all over the place, so I am happy to welcome her. She's also a social worker that has co-founded this amazing company with Ziamara. And this time, I am happy to welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, the good sister, Miss Katina Watts. Miss Watts, are you there? I am here, DJ Rome, and so excited to be here this afternoon with you and all of your listening audience. Oh, the listening audience is thrilled in their ear caps to hear your voice right now. So let me tell you, I was very excited to meet you because I am very curious about the world of education because both Ziamara and you know that I do psychology in the schools. And so your work fascinates me. How on earth did you come to this vision of I Learn at the Kitchen Table with Ziamara? From your angle doing social work, how did this come to be? Well, um, it actually was a late night conversation that we had. And she threw out an idea of the return of the governess. And I said, Ziamara, nobody knows the return of a governess. Most of the children of today don't even realize what a governess is. Um, in the midst of the pandemic um, last summer, um, we were at the height um, in July and, you know, being in education and watching us move from a face-to-face uh, -face learning experience into a virtual learning experience. She and I would have a couple of conversations and we would talk about education and she would ask questions and I would, you know, say to her, this is, you know, going to be a, a curveball for education moving forward, that education won't look the same anymore behind the COVID-19 pandemic. And so through some late night conversations, I learned at the kitchen table was born. And what we thought about was no more will parents have just one option um, or two options, private school or public school. Now there's an option for parents to want learning to be done at home. We've always had homeschooling, um, but this is different. This gives an option for some one-on-one -on -one, time and, and um, to allow parents and students to actually do virtual learning, um, which is it's just new. So you have educational pods, you have one-on-one. -on -one. And so we just decided, actually Ziamara really convinced me. I, I was a little leery, I can be honest, because as a social worker, um, I recognize that things happen. Um, this pandemic is here now. Um, we are not looking forward to be here in 10 years. And so things change. But as things change, some things remain the same. And education is one of them. Education won't go anywhere, but how we educate will, will be different in the future. Absolutely. So delivering that service model to reflect this incoming future, how does social work play into this? Are you seeing that there is a need even for students who are homeschooled to support their academia 
ambitions, that there is a, a vast mental health component as well. How do you work that fusible link there uh, based on your work? Definitely. So being a school social worker has allowed me um, to see the need that there are some children who do have have done better since being at home. There's been an increase in their social emotional learning as well as their academic learning. Parents have become more comfortable. Um, schooling can be um, it's a good, but it can also be a bad. And in today's society, children are very, very different than when you and I uh, were raised. Um, sometimes the pieces um, that children have to endure, whether it's bullying and the cyberbullying and you yep. know having to be ridiculed, th those things were not prevalent when we were growing up. We didn't have cell phones and, and social media to taunt one another. And that has become such a big issue for kids that we, um, I've had children who don't want to come to school anymore. And so because we were only allowing face-to-face -face learning, and that was the only way children could come unless they, you know, had a medical condition and wasn't able to come, or unless the parent took them out totally out of the public education setting and, you know, had to pay for homeschooling or some type of homeschool program that each state offers. So this has given an opportunity for parents to now say, you know what, my child can still remain in a public setting, but still be involved with their classmates, but yet and still be at home and be safe. And that's what parents are concerned about. They're concerned about the safety. As a social worker, I realize and I recognize that we can't do it all. It is a partnership parents, the community, schools, the students, we all have to work together, administrators, the teachers. And so therefore, when we talk about the outside um, world, and when we talk about a child that is home every day on a computer, from whether it's seven to two or eight to four, that is a lot of technology time. And research is saying that, you know, the kids need to have brain breaks and they need to be able to go outside. And that's what the extracurricular piece is all about, which is what homeschooling has done. Even though the child was homeschooled and they were homeschooled in a pod of other children, they would still have other extracurricular activities. They would go bowling and they would meet at a park and they would have a field day. And so those things were able to happen. Now that the children are virtually, you can still provide those opportunities. And those are opportunities that I learned um, we're looking at for the future, that your child might learn for four to five hours a day, but then we break. And if your child is not up to par yet, where you're wanting them to go out and still um, um, to, to reconnect with other children, then we can create virtual um, activities for them. And so mm -hmm. what we do is we then provide them with those other curricular activities, but they're now tailored to the child. So a child might like chess online or a child okay. might like to do another type of cooking experience online, whereas mm -hmm. they may not have wanted to be in front of somebody, but to have someone to teach them how to cook online and they're in a kitchen and they're actually doing live um, cooking with it. It's, it. It brings about another type of um, learning for them. And so some children learn very, very different. And so having a smaller environment works. But we also know there are kids who need the large environment. And some children will go back. We will have a lot of children to go back, but we will have a lot of children to remain. Oh, that's what's up. Now, when you talk about how you can tailor make a curriculum based on a child's interests, uh, it sounds like you're providing electives, a rich sort of a vocational curriculum as well. But 
when I think about tailor-made curriculums, I think about IEP plans, individualized education plans, and special education. Right. How often are students enrolling with I Learn at the Kitchen Table with individualized needs, whether through if they have a 504 plan or any uh, particular mental health challenges? How often are you seeing that? So right now we are a startup company. And so as we are preparing to get our parents um, to, to sign up with our company, our chief academic officer um, will tailor the child's education to them. So that means we do have to review the IEP. We do have to review the 504 that might be in place so that when we are um, hiring our teachers and our assistants, that they will be able to work with that particular student on their needs and what they need. So yes, that would be a tailored um, plan specifically for that student. So as we're following the state's curriculum, and we're just not here in Georgia, but we are in California, we're in New York. That's why we are an organization without walls. And so that's another opportunity that we've had to do. We can now do this education piece without being in a building. Um, and so it allows us for more opportunities. So therefore, the, our chief academic officer meets with the parent to talk about um, what are the educational needs that the parent has and what did the school see on the inside that we now see differently with the student? Because one thing we know, testing has been a big concern across American education. And so whether children do well on test or not, we also provide an opportunity with um, having an assessment done, but the assessment is done so that we can know where your child is now, not to determine whether or not your child will move to the next grade level. We wanna be able to provide them a tailored experience that would allow them to um, be successful. And so, and what I learned will do is pair that student up with the right teacher pair that student up with the right educational guru or the right tutor, because we wanna make sure that the child succeeds. No longer do we want to be able to put children in positions where they have to necessarily compete with their peers. Because what we know is that every child can learn, can learn no matter where they are in their educational process. Um, as a social worker, and I've been doing this a very long time, Rome, um, I've seen it where children are just not pushing themselves because they're comparing themselves to the other child in the classroom. And so where you have a child that can make the, the higher scores, they kind of, uh, what we call in education, dummy themselves down because they want to still be cool. And so therefore they don't want to excel and make themselves look smart. And then there are those children who feel inferior to the person who knows the answer all the time. So what I learn now does is work with that child one-on-one, -on -one, not just academically, but helping them to build their self-esteem, helping them to realize that they have the potential to be anything that they would like to be in this world. And so with this pandemic, we have noticed that so many businesses have become who they are because of this pandemic. These people um, across the world have stepped out no matter what the educational background. And so that's another area. Entrepreneurship has grown leaps and bounds. And so our kids are all into it. They're listening to the music. They're listening to their favorite rap stars. They're listening. They're looking at their actors and their actresses. And, and they're trying to figure out, am I going to be the next um, NFL draft star or the NBA or uh, Major League Baseball? And they're trying to dream. But sometimes their dreams were being crushed in a classroom based upon a test result. 
But now with I learn, what that says is you can dream. You can be whatever you want to be because we're working with you one-on-one at the skill set that you're bringing to us. And we're going to do our very best to make sure that we get you to the next level, whatever your level may be as a student and not what a school district may say that's where you need to be. And that sounds like it's a whole nother level. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. We're talking to the good sister Katina Watts. She's a social worker in Georgia and she's the COO of I Learn at the Kitchen Table, a homeschool uh, online company, uh, a school without walls, ladies and gentlemen. And as you've heard, uh, a very robust and ambitious project that's sprouting up all over the country. So when you talk about building upon a child's self-esteem, how often are these efforts done in a co-ed fashion? Are you able to group little boys with little girls together and do this, uh, given that they both have their own uh, distinctive and individual needs? How do you do it across genders in order to make it work individually for each student? So that is totally left up to the parent. The parent gets to decide whether or not they would like their child to be grouped, um, to be a co-ed group. Sometimes we have parents that want an educational pod and they already have the kids ready. And that could be boys and girls. It could be all girls or it could be all boys. But we leave that up to the parent because again, we know in a regular setting, you, you are in a co-ed setting. However, right. um, in today's world, we have so many different personalities and so many different experiences in family households that, you know, depending upon what the parent, the parent may only want an all-girl setting, or they may only want an all-boy setting, or they may want the gender setting. However, we leave that up to the parent. That's not a decision that we make, but we try right. to find those. Um, and if and if the parent doesn't have anyone, let's just say a parent came and they only have one child, but they would like to have a co-ed experience. Then we would ask other parents, are they interested in having a co-ed experience? And then at that point, we would then put together what we call an educational pod, where we'll have about four or five students working together with the teacher at different times or even at the same times. They could be face-to-face, or they could be virtual. It okay. will be totally left up to the parents. Um, we do provide the safety the safety um, precautions at this time as we are still under COVID-19. And so yes. we're following still mask, although the vaccine is out. And we recognize that you know people are moving towards getting the vaccine, but mm -hmm. we do what the parent wants. And that's what I, I love about this concept that we've done. Parents mm -hmm. now have a choice. Um, not that they didn't have a choice with public education or even a private setting, but you now have a choice to really individualize what your child's schooling may look like. Um, a friend of mine recently went on vacation with his family and he posted on Instagram how his children are learning and they're learning on the other side of the world. What better way to give a social studies um, experience with a live viewing of it? You know, and so they're able to still touch bases with their teachers online, but experiencing what it looks like to be on the other side of the world. So they're not just reading it, they're now yes. applying it. And that's so right. I believe that that's what this pandemic has done. It has opened the eyes up for parents to say, you know what, traditional learning might not be the best thing for my student. I may have to see something different in order for them to excel because this world is going to be different wrong. It will not be the same. And so we've got to move with it. And so especially in moving with our education process, um, we cannot do business in education the way we've done it before. 
We've yeah. got to change after this pandemic. It has oh, big to time. change. Big time. And if you're in California, I can tell you what the demographics are out here because that's where I'm at in Georgia. Mm -hmm. uh, I've learned a little bit about Georgia because of the most recent runoff election. Right. Um, where is, I learned at the kitchen table, I know it's a school without walls, but are y'all in Fulton County? Are you- We're based in out of Fulton County. Mm -hmm. We're okay. based out of Fulton County. Um, however, you know, we are located, the main members of the um, company, we are all located within the Metro Atlanta area. Okay, so Atlanta's black, all right? At least 51% demographic. Right. I, didn't, I didn't know you were gonna say that, but I think I remember that from talking to Ziamara last time. But mm -hmm. you have a pretty hefty African-American population out here in California we have a predominantly Hispanic and white uh, population with only maybe 6% of us uh, mm -hmm. being African-American that comprise this uh, population out here. So you talk about it's not gonna be business as usual anymore because of the realities of what this pandemic has brought upon us, right? right. And so right. how do you, and you talk about you know, being in your program, but you might be in a class that's actually being taught from across the country or a different part of the world. So mm -hmm. being a social worker and knowing that we have all these societal uh, factors to, you know, incorporate into a, a learning experience to make it real, how do you account for all these different demographic strains in lieu of all the societal ills and mm -hmm. How do you, because the teacher's going to teach social studies, right? But you do social work. So mm -hmm. in what ways do these issues play out, given that kids today have had to become a little bit more uh, attention savvy, yeah. politically yeah. astute, mm -hmm. even if they're yeah. younger? Uh, how do yeah. you manage all of those variables with I Learn at the Kitchen Table? Well, when we interview a teacher, um, we're not interviewing just for them to teach academics. We're interviewing them for them to be able to be connect with the family and connect with the child, a whole child. So when you talk about how do we um, incorporate the different dynamics, yes, the Atlanta metropolitan area is a is a is a high number of African Americans in the area, but it does not mean that we don't have other nationalities and uh, races that we will work with. So one of the things we want to be able to do is to talk about it. I think that's part of what education has done. We know about it, but we don't talk about it. Again, all of the social injustices that have been happening and all of the different experiences that have been happening across the country has made everyone alert no matter who you are, whether right. it's the Asian community, whether it's the African-American community, whether it's the Caucasian community, the Indian community. Yep. I think there have been so much of everything and that this COVID-19 has affected everybody in a different way. And mm -hmm. so one thing about children is that children are resilient. And so children only see and know what they hear and what they're taught. And so here at I Learn, we want to be able to have those conversations, but we want to be able to have them sensitive ways, again, including the parent. And so sometimes having conversations like your talk show and parents talking to one another can sometimes ease that. I think a lot of times that we only talk in our silos. And so we don't have children. And that's where learning comes from. You know, when children are able to sit in other classrooms that look like other people besides themselves, you begin to ask questions and you begin to see what, what happens on the other side. And so therefore, what we want to do is incorporate that. And so we incorporate that, but again, with the parents' permission. There are certain subject areas that we know parents don't want, to, don't want anyone to talk to their child about. We respect that. That's not something that we would push and that's not something that we would do. So getting back to your question, which I believe is how do we provide, tell me one more time, DJ, what? 
You nailed it. No, you got I it. Did. Okay, I want to No, you good. You good. Because my next question kind of picks up where you left off. Given okay. that many online programs, and I know you're a homeschool model, not necessarily only online, but mm -hmm. for the online schools, a lot of them the the students don't even turn their cameras on. So, you're you're right on track with my question. How do you foster engagement among the students, you know, provided that parents are okay with having mm -hmm. these healthy and constructive conversations during the learning day, yeah. instructional time. How yeah. do you do it? How do you foster engagement? So one thing, again, about the tailored plan, we recognize that every child is different. For example, I will use my daughter, who is not a morning person. Mm -hmm. So as a parent, I know that she's not a morning person at 13. So maybe her day doesn't start until 10. Okay. And maybe her day doesn't go, it goes from 10 until four. And so therefore we're not fighting the battle at home with parents who are working from home. And even those parents, or if the child is at a caregiver's home of whether or not to wake this child to start class at seven o'clock in the morning. So that's one way that engagement works. Okay. Um, I also noticed that with our high school children, you know, they, they don't really want to be on camera a lot because they haven't woken up. They haven't, you know, gotten their, their makeup done. And, you know, he needs to go ahead and comb his hair. He might not want to comb his hair today. So again, it's about being comfortable in who you are. So if you know that your, your, your 11th grader, again, is a morning person, they want to get it out the way and they want to start at seven and want to be done by 12, that's the good thing, the good beauty about what we can present. We can have that because that 11th grader might have a business that they're working on in the afternoon and they need the afternoon and the evening to work on their business or they're going to work. And so they want to get all of their classes out of the way. Um, and so that helps with that. The, the hodgepodge to all of this, Rome, is I learned at the kitchen table is willing to work with you. And so we're willing to work with any parent as long as we can provide it. If we can provide it for you and that parent is willing to work with us, we will give them what they need. Mm. College is, is, is the one of the best experiences that um, you learn who you are and being the person that you are. You recognize when you get to college, but now we're recognizing it earlier that some children don't do well in the mornings. Some children need low light. Some children need bright lights. Some children need music. Some children need to sit on the floor. Some of them need to have the TV on. There's just so many different things that motivate kids. So at I learned if music for that child is what needs to be played and it's some light jazz in order for it to get the child to wake up. And even if it's a rap song that they need to talk about, then let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get the kid engaged because here's what I know. If we don't engage the student, we don't get an ending result out of them. I've talked about motivation on this show before, and it's a bit of a myth because sometimes motivation is fleeting. But when you give a child purpose, they'll mm -hmm. get up in the morning. And it sounds like the kind of environment that I learn at the kitchen table is shaping and encouraging is making the kids want to, but kind of making them want to externally, but it feels and looks like they're doing it themselves. You know what I mean? But you have to shape right. the environment. There's something right. about, uh, as I was listening to you, Katina, I was thinking about the song, uh, The Greatest Love of All mm. by uh, Michael Masser and the late great songwriting yes. uh, legend, Linda Creed. Mm -hmm. um, I think the first line of the song, the first version I ever heard of it was by George Benson. Of course, later it was done by Whitney Houston. Right. Big, enormous hit for her. May she rest in paradise. But mm -hmm. 
the lyrics go, I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. That's right. Those are the first lyrics of the song. And so wow. when you shape the environment right with the, the sole purpose of engaging their mind, mm-hmm. body, soul, and spirit, That's you're going right. to get that buy-in. And it's That's going to happen right. seamlessly. It's going to happen organically. And mm-hmm. it's going to be such a symbiotic relationship between that child and that healthy environment that's created. Uh, learning is almost absolutely inevitable. That's well, uh, Katina Watts, it certainly has been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I want to wish you continued success. I'm going to have to definitely have you back to keep talking about these kind of issues. What's the best okay. way for people to follow you, follow I Learn at the Kitchen Table, and keep up with your projects, Ms. Katina Watts? They can follow us on Instagram at I Learn at the Kitchen Table, as well as Facebook. And of course, we are on the World Wide Web. As you know, I can Google it from my computer, like right now. It's like, it's right there. It's like, boom. It's like, they got to contact me at the bottom of the page. I Learn at the Kitchen Table on the World Wide Web. They got a little contact tab. And one number you can call is area code 678. Does that sound familiar? That's it. Area code 678-249-9458. You can get a a free consultation. You can learn beyond the classroom. You can look at their beautifully, gorgeously created website. I Learn at the Kitchen Table on the World Wide Web. School Without Borders. It is the new era of learning and education. Social worker Katina Watts, will you join us again sometime on Psychotic Brunch? I will, I will. Thank you so much for inviting me today. This is Laurent Fintoni, and you're listening to Psychotic Bomb School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best radio station on the planet. Yes, we are back. KCWGTheTruth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome, and I am very, very excited about this next panel, y'all. Love and dating and relationships, it it never gets old. It's an age old uh, topic that never seems to run its course. And it's always a pertinent issue burning in the souls of people across the land, whether you're married, single, dating or not. Uh, Companionship and being with others uh, is not only healthy, but it's also one that presents its fair share of challenges, no matter what side of marriage or singledom you are on. So I wanted to have a modern day up to date panel about this. I haven't talked about this lately on the show. And so to help me have this conversation, I have an amazing, an amazing panel of guests. They've all been here before, but in separate capacity. So I'm gonna start with the ladies first. We have ladies and gentlemen. So I'm gonna start with the ladies first. This amazing guest has been here multiple times before. Y'all know this guest, she's just amazing. She's super, super talented, super fun. Uh, She goes way back with me. Uh, She's an educator, just an all around great person. So ladies and gentlemen, please first welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good sister, Miss Lori Peacock. Lori, are you there? Hey, Rome, I am here. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, man. Thank you so much for being here, Lori. And your amazing co-conspirator is also here. She is a multi-hyphenate, a self-styled multi-hyphenate actress. She's got some amazing things happening in Southern California, y'all. And if you look closely, uh, you'll probably see her in some uh, amazing uh, movies that you all are quite familiar with. So I also want to welcome her back. She's an author, content creator. She does it all. So ladies and gentlemen, also welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good sister, Miss Erin Wiley Sands. Miss Sands, are you there? Yes, I am here and excited to be back. Thank you so much. 
Absolutely. Welcome back, Aaron. And the fellas are here also. I want to welcome this good brother. He's on the East Coast and uh, he's an author in his own right. We got so much talent in this panel, ladies and gentlemen. We got three authors here, as a matter of fact. So uh, I'm coming to our, our fourth guest in just a second. But this good brother has written several books. Uh, he's out of Flint, Michigan. And you guys know this good brother. So, ladies and gentlemen, also welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good brother, Mr. Nicholas Mays. Mr. Mays, are you there? Yes, sir. I want to thank you for this opportunity to be back on your show. Oh, man. Always love having you here, good brother. Welcome back. And last but not least, this good brother. Y'all know this good brother. This brother, uh, he, he's written a book called The Emotion, The Tree, and Me. I mean, he, he's really educated us on this show about how to create common languages between children and their parents. Uh, this brother has done it all. He's a psychologist. He's an educator. He's an administrator. He's an author. He's an entrepreneur. This cat does it all right here in California. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, my good brother, Dr. Chase Moore. Dr. Moore, are you there? I am here, good brother, and thank you for having me on. And I just want to say hello to uh, the, the other guests as well. Appreciate being and sharing the space with you all. Oh, man, such a joy to have you here. Uh, welcome all for y'all. Lori, Aaron, I'm going to start with y'all. Um, I want to show y'all something just to kind of kick things off. Uh, before I do, though, I want to hear from the ladies real quick. Uh, Lori, We've, we were coming out of this pandemic, right, Lori? I mean, dating was what it was prior to the onset of this. It's created its unique challenges during the onset of the pandemic and post-pandemic. I'm concerned about where this is going. So before we really get into this, Lori, and then I'm going to turn to Aaron next, what are your thoughts generally just on the state of dating, love, and relationships, Ms. Lori Peacock? <laughs> oh, I could, take up, I could take up the whole hour just talking about my, my stance on dating, love, and relationships. Come on. Um, <laughs> we got time today. I got a little time today. <laughs> I can monopolize the conversation. Right? That's right. right. So, okay. um, yeah, it's, it, it's a challenge. I, I'm, a, I'm single. Mm. I've been divorced for 10 years. I'm almost almost 50 years old and um Still young it, yeah well Still but, young. Uh, <laughs> but it's 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 really a challenge and i don't know if it's a southern california thing i don't know if it's a nationwide thing uh, i don't know if it's a Lori peacock thing but i know that dating mm -hmm. for me has been a, a very big challenge and then the covid you know the thing about covid was there were more people online because they had nothing else to do and they're like hey let me see about getting in a relationship here but you couldn't really meet you couldn't really get together. You were video chatting. It was really mm. just odd. So, you know, we'll see what happens after as we're coming out of this. But um, I don't know, as a woman of a certain age, you know, the men that I meet, they're either married or they are not married and they have commitment issues or they're too young and they don't know how to treat a woman. So mm. uh, it, it, for, it's a challenge. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm looking for love. I've been looking for love for a long time. And it's just, it's hard to find. Sex is easy to find. Love, not so much. Isn't that interesting? And I, I guess I, I, I would be surprised to hear you say that, but I'm not really surprised because I, I know that that's a common thing that women are dealing with. That's why I have uh, Nicholas here on the East Coast. Um, stay tuned, Nicholas. I'm coming to you in a second. Dr. Chase Moore with the, the memes there coming to you in just a second. But Aaron Wiley Sands, uh, can you pick up where Lori just left off? Where do you think we are, you know, with the onset of the pandemic during and afterward? Uh, where is this going from your vantage point, Ms. Aaron Wiley Sands? 
I would say what the pandemic taught me more than anything, and I'm going to not speak specifically to romantic relationships, but basically human connection Mm -hmm. was how palpable our need is for connection that, um, that there came, you know, a depression for a lot of people and a bit of an anxiety without having just that human connection, being around other humans, other people, whether you know them or not. Because I noticed that when in California, when we picked up, when we were allowed to have restaurants outdoors, that when I came outside or when I was walking down the street and I, and I saw other people, it it did, it did something to my soul. It did something to my joy. So, um, what did it do? What did it do? I just felt more alive. I felt happier. It just felt good to see life happening around me. So I thought, wow, we are inherently in need of connection with just other people and, and and romantic, of course. Yes. But just (laughs) as human beings, we need connection. And I think that, I don't know how many people knew that. I mean, I knew I needed, I don't remember that song, Mm -hmm. people who need people, but I knew I needed people, of course, loved ones, family, but I didn't know that I had an inherent need to just be around human, other human interaction that that fed our souls in a way and help with our mental stability and just help, you know, living life. So I think Mm. it taught me that. So if we have a need for that, then, you know, you, you multiply that with romantic need, then, you know, you're, into something different, but I think it showed us that um, this virtual lifestyle isn't as fulfilling as maybe we thought it could be prior to a pandemic or prior to quarantine. Uh, Lori says something a few minutes ago with her introduction that really, uh, I think, is pretty pervasive among a lot of women who are out in the world, uh, whether they're single and looking or not. Uh, The the issue with dating and the, the sense that it's so hard. It's so challenging. So, Lori, uh, can you pick up right there? What is it about dating? Uh, you, you touched upon it, but what are one or two particular things that are the most frustrating about uh, being single in this day and age and what it means as uh, African-American woman or multicultural woman in uh, Southern California? What does that mean for you? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely challenging. Um, and I, I, I meet guys, right. Not in person. It's really hard for me to meet guys in person. I think maybe, I don't know, they don't, I don't seem as approachable as I feel like I am, but I can definitely meet guys online. They're much more open to reaching out to me and contacting me, um, online. But what I find is that it's just very hard to get that connection and be on that same page and be wanting the same things and be looking for the same things and to have someone to be honest who is not necessarily at my level but at least not way beneath me you know I mean I, I'm, a, I'm a successful career woman and I'm a, I'm a single parent and I, I have it going on right and I don't necessarily want someone who doesn't have a job or lives with his mother now again I don't care how much money he makes I just want him to have some type of a job, right? Some kind of an of ambition. I'm not looking for a workaholic because then they're not going to have the time for me that I want, you know. So it's it's challenging and just finding somebody who's who is looking for that commitment and that relationship, um, who's not afraid of opening up and being in love. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just and I think there's so much competition too. I think um, there's just so many beautiful people out here, you know, and there's. It's like, oh, well, she doesn't work out. I'll just move on to the next or move on to the next or move on to the next. And people don't really seem, you know, we live in this microwave era where it's like quick, quick, instantaneous. I want it right now. And, and if it, you know, if it lasts great, if it doesn't last, that's fine. There'll be something else better. So um, I feel like that's really an issue, at least for me, 
in my relationships. And, uh, and I don't, I don't know. I really, I've analyzed this for a long time, Rome. I have been looking at this. I'm like, you. I'm the common factor, right? It's me, right? I'm the common factor here. So what is it about me that's making this so difficult? And I just can't figure it out. So I'm going to put it out there. It's not me. It's everybody else. <laughs> and, uh, it's men, it's men in general. No, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I got to blame it on them, but right. I, you know, and, and as a, as a black woman, um, you know, it, I'm, I date interracially and, uh, I think it's a little bit difficult there too. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not white, you know, and, 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 uh, not that, not that all, all men are attracted to only white women, but you know, this is our society that tends to be more of the norm. So it's just a challenge. It's just that's hard. Why, to, you know. Yeah, I hear you. It is a challenge. Aaron, I'd like for you to jump in. Cause that's why I wanted to be sure to acknowledge, uh, all your cultures, you know, within you. Cause I tend to focus on just the black on, right. on the show. But you're you're multicultural, you're you're multiracial. And so I yes. I, I don't wanna But I, I identify as a black woman, but yeah. yes, I am I am biracial and right. um, you know. Right. So. Okay, got it. Aaron Wiley Sands, what are your thoughts? Hey, <laughs> um Why do you why do Lori and you always chuckle first before you share? What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, I guess my <laughs> chuckle came from I because I love Lori and I don't want I want to support her experience as well. My mm. experience is not the same though. And so mm. I, you know, I don't want to minimize anybody's experience. Um, mm. I enjoy my singleness um, mm. very much. So um, I don't have problems um, in terms of meeting good guys. Um, mm. I, I just, I, I don't want to, I feel bad saying that. No, well, uh, I just, are I, the, uh, so you're getting so, okay. the orders? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. So I, and, and, and I know, and, and Lori has a healthy self-esteem. I have one too. So I like me. And so I'm okay being alone, but I'll say this, I am, you know, I, I, I'm divorced. So there's probably a different perspective. So there's no rush for me to, you know, get into another relationship. I, um, so I can enjoy each season of my life. I'm enjoying my singleness. Um, and I think that in life a lot, as someone told me something and I, and I just find it true. You don't get what you want. You get what you believe. So I remember when I was single and I hadn't been married and I was in LA and I was out with a girlfriend. I was like, yeah, I, I want to, you know, get married. And this is like at age 40. And she laughed. She was like, you really think you're going to find a husband in LA? And I remember thinking for a second, because that those are the facts, right? We have facts in our life, mm. but, um, the facts there's the facts and there's the truth and the truth and and i don't mean to sound super religious but the truth is what i believe god says about me so the facts were yeah it's hard to find at 40 it was gonna be hard to find a husband in la but or not even fine because i wasn't looking but mm. i just believed god's truth that he had somebody for me and so i think it was a week later i met the man that i was gonna marry and know that that marriage didn't work out but I enjoyed the season that we had and when it did when it didn't work out it didn't work out and now I'm enjoying this season the season of singleness and I believe that when I'm ready you know the dude will come and so I just mm. kind of live my life by that and mm. but I I will say this to agree with Lori I haven't met um my equal but I think that that was some areas in me that were wounded that needed to be healed so I forgot who said I think maybe 
I, I forgot which of the gentlemen said it. So even in this quarantine, I've had time to kind of even look at myself and heal certain areas so that I'm attracting the man that brings what I believe I deserve and what I believe I have to offer. So mm. it's, I just have a kind of different mindset about it. And, but I appreciate Lori's mindset. And, and I see that too, because I hadn't had my equal in the past, but I just believe I will. It just, oh, I love that. I love that. How, how okay, long have you been? Thank you. I'm so long sorry. Have, no, it's okay. I mean, it you. is a Lori thing. No, okay. no girl. Don't, you don't worry about that. But how long have you been divorced? Three years. Okay. Yeah. So my, the first two years after my divorce, I was like that too. I was so yeah. not wanting a relationship, not wanting marriage, not wanting a commitment. Mm -hmm. I was happy. I was single. And then after a while, after a few years of that, I was like, you know, I just want a companion. I want a partner. I want right. someone, you know, someone to be with just one person. So again, not even yeah. necessarily looking for, for marriage again, just, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. a boyfriend. And I and feel you. Because yeah. I know that day's going to come where I'm going to wake up and be like, I think I'm ready to share my life with but someone. But then you again. will find someone. And I don't yeah, know why I, I can't. <laughs> Maybe no, I don't have I, that belief. I, Maybe I don't Yeah. Well, we will talk later one-on-one. -on -one, <laughs> yeah. I just believe he's coming when it's time. But mm -hmm. yeah. Lori, how many years has it been since you've been married? Ten. Ten, Ten. Okay. years after, how long, since my divorce. Since the divorce. And how soon after the divorce would you say, because you said there was a time period where, yeah, what Aaron is talking about, you did feel like that. So how long after you were apart did you start to feel like, yeah, okay, I'm ready to try this again with someone new, but a real prospect, though? So the first two years after my divorce, I'm not going to lie, I'm going to call them the slut years. Um, I did not... Mm -hmm want a relationship. I was just happy to play the field and be like a man. Um, and then, you know, after about two years of, after my divorce, I was like, oh, okay, I think I'm ready. I'm ready for, for one person. And that was when, you know, I just had a series of, of really rotten relationships, men that were not wanting a commitment, um, you know, that I was interested in or, or men that were married. Um, you know, so just, just, and it's, I don't know if it's my picker, you know, I don't think it's, it's mm -hmm. that I, I'm picking the wrong people or attracting the wrong people. I don't know. I, like I said, I, I think about this a lot because people are always like, why are you single? Why are you single? You, you have so much going for you. I'm like, oh, something's wrong. Mm -hmm. So, and I agree with what everybody said, as far as loving yourself. Like I have, I have worked really hard on, on myself and, you know, oh, making sure that it's not being needy. Right. You know, like that I can mm -hmm. bring something to the table that I'm not as needy as I used to be in relationships. So, mm. so we'll see, I need to hang with Aaron and, uh, and get that, get that good vibe going. Well, you, you already have some good vibes, Lori and with, with Aaron and Chase and Nicholas, I'm coming back to you in just a second. I'm wondering the two, you two ladies, I mean, to reach, to reach a level where, um, or a point, I should say, Aaron, to where you're content and three years out from being married, aren't you still getting overtures nevertheless? I mean, you said there's, it's, it's easy yes, for you to meet someone, absolutely. but so what, what, are yes. the, what does it look like for you in terms of, are you just swatting these uh, potential, like people that have no shot, are you just swatting them away left and right? Or they're just being so inappropriate that the right one hasn't emerged yet? Yeah, I don't get, I mean, that, I don't get inappropriate. Um, I get men who sincerely want a commitment and see me and say, Hey, what's up? And I say, Hey, not really interested in that right now. Mm. I, there was somebody that I tried to date and he wanted a commitment and he wanted to like marry. And I was like, yeah, not wanting that right now. 
you have to go slow. And he wasn't willing to do that. So I, I felt sad because I broke his heart or he was very, mm. very sad over that. But I, I'm not, I don't want it. I have, I just, like I said, I'm content in my singleness. And I know that when I'm ready, you mm. know, uh, the guy will come again, you know, whoever that guy is. I just believe that there's no part of me that believes that good men aren't available that I just, I really think it's a mind thing. It's your perspective. You, I, this is my belief that, you know, you get what you believe in life. And I believe that a good dude is coming. And, and like I said, I've done the work on myself in this time to heal certain things that I had to look back on because, you know, marriage is two people. What areas of, you know, hurt or harm did I have in my heart from maybe childhood, from just, you know, being a young woman that I needed to heal. So in the next relationship that I'm attracting a different man. And so I am a different person in that relationship. I felt like I was a good wife and I, you know, I don't, but no one's perfect. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I just, yeah, I I was I just believe different things. You believe different things. No, it's okay. <laughs> Chase, Lori, Nicholas, stand by. I'm coming back to you all in just a second. But I was wondering how you healed from a heartbreak, a disappointment, so that I mean, it it takes time. I know that, but mm -hmm. in terms of moving ahead and uh, being open to taking uh, chances with your heart and trusting your judgment again, uh, how challenging has that been, if at all, for you? Um. I took a season to, after the divorce, to cry when I needed to cry, to be angry when I needed to be angry. There was no part of me that felt like I shouldn't make myself available to every emotion that I was feeling. And then, um, because like I told you, I have a, not, you know, a course called Live More, Carry Less. So I do a lot of uh, interwork, introspective work. And so I, I just examined myself truly examined myself and saw me, you know what I'm saying? And just took the time to see my issues or to see, you know, areas of fear that I had, areas of abandonment that I had in my life mm -hmm. from maybe my father, other things. And so, uh, and just took the time to kind of journal about those, heal those things and do those things that I was fearful of to step out on faith and, you know, kind of take the time to conquer those fears. So, mm -hmm. um, that's for me, that was my path to healing. And I, and my path to trusting is knowing that I've done the work and then trusting God, trusting that God is going to bring the dude. And, 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 and I felt like my marriage got brought that dude, but there were things you need to learn in every season in life and every relationship. And so make yourself available to those things, learn the lesson. So in the next relationship, you don't repeat the same cycle. So yeah. I, I don't expect God to bring the perfect dude because I'm not a perfect woman. I expect uh -huh. God to bring somebody who's a compliment to my life so we can learn and grow together. And how important is race or demographic? Is that, is that a factor? Before marriage, I, if he wasn't black, I was like, hey, I, I can't, I can't. But now <laughs> I'm older and I'm open. So I'm open to anyone now. I mean, not, you know, any male now right. uh, that is, uh, you know, emotionally mature and, you know, has it going on, as Lori says. So, you know, I'm open, but he doesn't, he no longer has to be black. Okay. Well, the way I want to bring Chase and Nicholas back into this, Lori and Aaron, I wonder if y'all have any questions. I mean, this this is kind of a silly question to ask you if you have questions, but is there something that you always wanted to get through the thick, thick headed skull of men, uh, maybe even black men in particular, that they keep misunderstanding about you, that they, they don't get it. They keep missing uh, the point about where you are, what you need, and some of your main frustrations about 
what it's like to be a woman in today's age of love, relationships, and dating. Is there anything at all that you wanted to ask Chase and Nicholas while they're here? Or help them understand with more clarity? Because in helping them, you're helping me and helping all the, the male listeners out there. So uh, what comes to mind when you hear a, a question like that? I guess it would be, what is it that makes you want to commit to someone? You know, like, what is it about? Is it about a person? Is it about your life? Is it about your timing? Like, why do men choose certain women and, and other women, other women, they don't, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to get serious. Mm, interesting. Chase or Nicholas, which one of y'all want to take that one? I can, I can step, uh, step in and um, Mr. Nicholas, I, I appreciate your perspective as well. Um, well, you know, to, to answer that question, I, I can only answer it in a vacuum, you know, for myself. Um, but I think my experience might generalize to a lot of um, males, particularly African-American males. Um, and I was reading the, the book, uh, What Happened to You by uh, Dr. Perry and Oprah Winfrey. And, and I like that perspective of what happened um, because I think it, it gives an idea of, you know, what will make someone want to commit. And, um, you know, for me, I, I, I certainly think that men, um, we have to stop running away from like reality and the nature of being a man. And we have to look at the culture in which we, uh, in America, we, we've been brought up in. And for myself, that journey has taken me to a greater understanding as I come into a realization of who I am as, a, as an African man born in America. And so with all that said, I would say what makes, you know, um, a lot of men want to commit is um, their own self-confidence and knowing what it is that they want and knowing, uh, for example, I wrote down some questions like, why do we need relationships? Who determines what a good relationship is? Who determines what attraction is? And so I think here in America, we can, we can get really confused as men because um, many men have porn addictions. Uh, many Black men have alcohol uh, and drug-related problems because of the nature in which they um, engage with America, even if they're so-called quote unquote successful, right? What is that anyway? Because at some point money, you know, um, there are a lot of guys who make good money, right? If you come from a certain environment, money part is not gonna be hard to make, but they still have certain challenges. And so I think um, what makes a man wanna commit a long story short is having an understanding of who they are and what they want. Um, you know, that that helps because then they can recognize the value in someone else. Um, and then also being, uh, like you've all said, being able to uh, work and grow towards a goal. I think many times, uh, particularly here in America, uh, the focus is too much on the relationship in itself, you know, where uh, it has the relationship has its own Facebook page and own and, and to a certain extent, you know, mm -hmm. uh, relationships are two people joining and merging their life to reach a higher goal, whether that be spirituality or reaching a higher level of vibration together, whether that be the work that they do or they want to leave. Um, and so I think that, um, you know, for me, what makes a man want to commit is when they know themselves and they can see um, a, a genuine partner and reflection of, you know, the woman. And so mm. that would be my take on it. Absolutely. Nicholas Mays. I think I'm on the same page as, uh, with his response is that I, I view it as being a mindset that is kind of like a, 
scary area because it's not it's not related to age or money or certain timing it's kind of on the same page as with, with Aaron when she was saying you know you had a a great guy that wanted to settle down but in your mind that's not where you want to be so I believe it's, it's a mindset thing like am I ready to be in this because you got some men that you know they may call themselves players but it could be that one person that they got a connection with and it causes them to change their whole mindset of who they want to be with they want to focus on this person and be with them so it, it couldn't be, you know, sometimes it may not be the the money that's coming in or how of a great of a person she is, or, or it's just that connection, something that draws them and pulls them away from focusing on doing their own thing or multiple women or living their best life by themselves. It can just be that one connection that causes them to want to change their mind and focus on that person. So I, I believe it's on the same area, like Aaron was saying, sometimes they could have been in a relationship that, you know, causes them to pull away, you know, like you, you've been married for X amount of years and you, you, now you don't want to be in a relationship. You don't want to dedicate yourself to a person that could easily hurt you in the end or, you know, burn you where, you know, it hurts your feelings all over again. So now you need a certain amount of time, but how long that time is, you know, it all varies. It depends on how well you connect with that person. So sure, I believe yeah. it's, it's a mindset, but it really doesn't apply a time frame to it. And it it's, can be a little risky and that's on both sides. It can be the same with a man, like, like we just said before, you know, they want to settle down, but the woman they want to settle down with isn't ready. So I, I view it as a mindset. Yeah, and timing. Uh, great points. Aaron, I, I want to give you a chance to jump in. Uh, I have some follow-ups to what Chase and Nicholas just said, but I want to give you a chance to, did you have a thought? Uh, if you had something you wanted to get through the head of men and you always wanted to ask them, um, what comes to mind when you hear something posed to you like that? Yeah, I was thinking and I don't <laughs> really have much I'll, I'll think of um, something that maybe uh was some. lacking in the relationships prior um to listen the ability to listen and give as much as you receive mm. but I really like again I think that that was a me thing and I was going in relationships doing too much giving too much and and not that you should you know what i mean when you go in give a hundred percent but that there was something that happened in my childhood that made me feel like i needed to overperform and give more than you know to take care and become a caregiver in a relationship versus an equal partner and so i've looked at that also in my singleness but so i experienced that because i think i came into it feeling like i i need to take care of this person too in this way and there were a lot of times where i wasn't being taken care of and so now i understand that you know not to go into something with that sort of preconceived burden that i need to take care of you you're a grown man and you're going to take care of yourself and i'm going to take care of me and we're going to take care of each other that's my new mindset but right. i think i <clears throat> didn't get that because i for some reason felt like i needed to take care of somebody
what you're doing Cause I'm about to ruin the image and the style that you're used to I look funny, but yo, I'm making money, see So yo, world, I hope you're ready for me Now gather round, I'm the new fool in town And my sound's laid down by the underground I'm drinking all the Hennessy you got on your shelf So just let me introduce myself My name is Humpty, pronounced with the Humpty Yo, ladies, oh, how I like to funk thee And all the rappers in the top ten Please allow me to bump thee I'm stepping tall, y'all And just like Humpty Dumpty You're gonna fall when the stereos pump me I like the rhyme, I like my beats funky I'm spunky, I like my oatmeal lumpy I'm sick with this Straight gangster Mac But sometimes I get ridiculous I'll eat up all your crackers and your licorice Oh, yo, fat girl Come here, are you ticklish? Yeah, I called you fat Look at me, I'm skinny It never stopped me from getting busy I'm a freak I like the girls with the boom I once got busy in a Burger King bathroom I'm crazy Allow me to amaze thee They say I'm ugly, but it just don't faze me I'm still getting in the girls' pants And I even got my own dance KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, just over a week ago, the world of music was greeted with the unfortunate news development of the passing of Greg Jacobs, also known as Shock G, Humpty Hump, from the legendary Bay Area hip-hop conglomerate called Digital Underground. Well, uh, we lost a good brother, and... Um, it, it, it seemed like it, they, they come in threes and you know if you try to get me to name the three major losses that we've had in hip-hop uh, DMX comes to mind uh, the good brother uh, Black Rob and uh, Shock G uh, the latest uh, unfortunate loss uh, we want him to rest in power and paradise and uh, I wanted to pay a special tribute to the good brother and to help me do so we have a gentleman on the line from the Bay Area straight out of Oakland. Um, he had, comes from an organization called Alternative Minds, and uh, he has uh, uh, his foot in the community, as well as in the world of music and education. Uh, I'm excited to meet this cat. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, the good brother, Mr. Naru Quinna. Mr. Quinna, are you there? How you doing, good brother? No, I'm I'm good, man. It, it was it was a rough it was a rough week last week with man. fashion, bro. I mean, literally, mm. I ain't even gonna front, bro. I cried for, for 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 three nights, man. Just thinking about my brother, looking at some old home videos and stuff we had, and just like, man. Um, yeah, yeah. It was rough. It was rough, and I, I talked to his brother Kent, and um, you know, we. Mm. Just, just a little reminiscing, man. He had, he had hit me up a couple months before, man, and told me Shock wasn't doing well. So I, I didn't think it was going to mm. So, yeah, bro. Oh, was, man. man. So even with that sort of preparation, it was this was still unexpected, right? I mean, I don't know if it was unexpected or what. I mean, literally, he just wasn't doing the best, bro. And I just didn't think he was going to pass that quick. You know, we, 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 yes. we were hopeful. We were hopeful. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, I'm going to uh, sympathize with you. Uh, I lost my best friend in January very, very unexpectedly. So I'm still in the bereavement stages very much so. So these series of losses uh, have hit differently, all of them. And Shock G hit particularly uh, different as well, given my connection 
to uh, an encounter I had with Tupac years ago. So, good brother, what can you tell us about uh, Mr. Greg Shock G. Jacobs? Uh, if you've been emotional like this, there's a reason for that, good brother. What can you tell us about your relationship with the good brother Shock G? Well, so he was just a homie, man. Like, <laughs> it's funny that he blew up and, and it was great. But, uh, like, I met him on the back of the 40 bus. That's the, the bus line we out here out in Oakland. And anybody from Oakland yeah. or from out in this area knows that it runs from the deepest part of East Oakland all the way through downtown and then like up to berkeley so back in the day we would just be on the bus you know sometimes we would just ride the bus back and forth back and forth playing music i had this i had this boom box with a keyboard on it and everybody would always stop me and ask me about the keyboard and of course i'm you know i'm bumping my music i'm busting rhymes and stuff and um i met greg shot g on the back of the 40 and he was he was drawing in a sketchbook and mm. he he had looked up and saw me. He was like, "Dude, I, 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 that's that's a fresh radio." I was like, "Yeah, man." And I looked over and like, "Dude, you drew that?" And, and he, mm. he, he was drawing some P Funk inspired type stuff. I was like, "Oh man," and, mm. and you know George Clinton and those are those are our folks. You know my 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 DJ back in the day named Chaos. Uh, we actually uh, uh, did some stuff with George Clinton, and um, so you know we kind of we kind of bonded around the funk when when I saw his work. Yes, and, sir. You know, we, trying to start kicking it, kicking freestyles, you know, rhyming or whatever. And I'm asking, I asked him if he knew chaos and he had heard of him. So I, we, I hooked him up to me cause they were like super funk dudes. Me, I just like the funk, but I'm more of a hip hop cat. Yes, and, um, that's how we, that's how we met. And um, we just were hella cool ever since then. And um, you know, he would come, come over and we would freestyle, make beats up, whatever. And uh, then when they blew up, uh, him and Chaos had fallen out <laughs> a little bit over over a sample, you know. I'm like, why y'all fighting over something that neither one of y'all made? But you know, <laughs> it was yeah. a little thing going on. But uh, uh, you know, we would we you know we would go do the videos with him and stuff, and um, you know, Humpty Dance. Uh, I mean, I think the first one was Do What You Like, and yeah. Hotel Downtown in Oakland at the London Lodge. Man, it was so much fun, and um. You know, we would just, you would just party, man. We were young, single, you know, having a good time. Well, break me. that down for me. Yeah, because that, that era, man, because when we found out about Shock G, it was early 90s, man. So the era you talking about being on the back of the bus of the 40, we talking what, early 80s, mid 80s? Yeah, mid 80s. Yeah, mid 80s. Because um, I'm trying to remember when he, he moved out here. He came out here from Brooklyn. But yeah. I a lot of time in, in Florida, Tampa as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, he was out here and... um. You know, he had a, you know, Money B is already out here. They, you know, they from out they from the mm -hmm. town. I, I know Money B's father, Bobby McCall, man, a, a, a militant brother, man, did a lot of stuff in the community. And um, mm -hmm. so that that time, you know, in the 80s was just like, you know, cats walking around with linoleum, throwing it down on the ground, break dancing, you know, <laughs> on Telegraph Avenue in Berkeley. We had a couple of record stores, Leopold's, Rasputin's, mm -hmm. uh, Amoeba. And, uh, you know, we would be outside, you know, trying to sell our stuff. You know, the Bay Area is the hustle town. So we would be out selling our, you know, our cassettes back then, mm. and later. And, you know, we would be in front of the record store because they wouldn't they wouldn't put our stuff in the store. So we'd be in front of the store selling our stuff and, you know, playing in and stuff like that. So that was kind of like the, the atmosphere. The hip hop was just right. thriving, bro. It was just like that. It was it, you know, walking around, you know, loving the East Coast because that's where it started. So a lot of us, we know, would have our 
our gear on looking like the East Coast. And this was uh kind of like when, when the when the medallions was out, bro. We was getting rid of the gold chains and wearing the black medallions with with Huey on it and stuff like mm -hmm. that, bro. It was it was that era when we met. So what can you tell us about your recollection about uh the, the Humpty Dance era and uh what that meant to Shock, Digital Underground, what it meant to Oakland and uh good brother, what it meant to you? Well, for me, like I said, I was at the video shoot. Now, if you blink, you might miss me, but I'm in that video. And uh, ah. bro, for me, like I said, I was young, single. So all it meant to me was, man, I'm about to go and kick it with, with the partners and I'm just gonna be some fine women here, mm. bro. We about to turn up, we about to drink, we about to do what, I didn't smoke, but I, a lot of folks did. And like, we gonna turn up and have fun and celebrate this music, man. We, it was a celebration, bro. Every time we got together, it was a celebration, man. Whether we was at the house barbecuing or whether we was on a video shoot whether we just ran into each other at a street or a show, whatever, it was just always the same, man. It was always, what's up, Quick? What's up, Shock? What's going on, bro? What's going on, you know? Mm. And me, I never wanted to sign to a label. I, I, I turned down many deals. I just kind of saw what it was doing to some people. Mm. And I was, you know, I was an educator. So I'm like, I'm, I, I just view music for fun. It never was like something I wanted to do to make money. Although I, I did make money and, and um, I started a company called Hip Learning where I use hip hop to teach. So I kind of combined what I uh, do as a teacher and my music and, you know, that that became very successful. So I was happy about that. But just just fun bro like it was every time i see him i and the last time i saw him i was shooting my shoot my film and um uh, he was they would we're doing a tribute for tupac out at yoshi's in san francisco and um he pulled me up on stage to rhyme with him and stuff and like man mm. bro still like i said still the same old dude uh you know i i can't speak for anybody else's experience with with shot um, I can only speak from from my perspective, you know, some people might have a whole different experience. But like I said, I met him before he ever got big. So I, I'm assuming if you met him once he was always successful, he might be a little leery or you mm -hmm. know unapproachable or whatever, you know, because, you know, you, you just got to kind of watch out who you come into contact with, you know, because a lot of people had their hand out and want something. And I never asked him for anything, never asked him to be on a project, nothing like, you know, I'm like, you just a homie. I don't, you know, I, I'm doing my thing. I, I love what I do and I love what you do. And um, mm. it, it's it's all good. But um, yeah, man, just, just, uh, you know, Sound I, like I, you I had wish, fun, bro. Wish the brother could. Wish the brother was still here. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, man, that that's real. This is KCWG, the Truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Ron. We're talking to the good brother Naru Quina, uh, Bay Area legend in his own right. You heard the brother, hip learning educator, MC, uh, community activist, musician. Uh, the brother does it all. He's helping us break down the life and times and the the good fellowship of our recently acquired ancestor, the good brother Greg Jacobs, Shock G of Digital Underground. A uh, little birdie told me, uh, Mr. Quina, that uh, you actually uh, contributed a little bit to the, the Good Brothers wardrobe in the Humpty Dance video. Uh, well, what's up with that? Well, if you if you see the if you see that uh, that white furry hat, 
that might look familiar. That I, that's uh, the same hat I had on um, in, in, on an album cover. And, um, <laughs> so yeah, he wanted he wanted a hat like that. So it, it was it wasn't it wasn't my hat, but it was, yeah. it was um, he he wanted he, he he liked the hat that I had on. So he went and found something similar to it. And oh, right on. It was right all on. good. It was no he already he, he said yeah man I like that hat. I'm gonna get me one of them. <laughs> right. right. Well, I tell you, man. I mean, just little things like that man just you know and that, that's what's so beautiful about it you know your story you know the way you, you reflect on uh shock and your, your reverence for him wishing he was still here you know i feel you man but just just the the authenticity of your friendship with them and you know it's like i i almost don't want to ask you any personal questions about it because i don't want to touch that you know what i mean because that was that was between y'all you know what i mean and it kind of reminds me of man what was muhammad ali's photographer's name he was with them forever, took all of his photos, all of his most iconic photos. Uh, this brother snapped all of them. And, you know, Muhammad was, you know, Ali, the, come on now, greatest of all time. And this cat, yeah, the, the, this cat was with him the whole time. And you know what he said? He kind of said what you just said. He's like, yo, Ali's my friend. I've never asked him for a single dime, ever, ever. You know, he's just my friend, you know? And so when you have a bond like that, man, it's like, all the success in the world is not going to change you. And so he, Digital went on to do uh, the Sons of the P and they had several albums after that. And then, you know, you talk about that other side where, you know, uh, Shock had this persona with Humpty, but at the same time, you're not just going to roll up on this cat because it's funny, my, my journalist friend, A. Scott Galloway, who's been on this show multiple times, uh, when we pay tribute to B.B. Dickerson of War, uh, the songwriter, bassist, and lead vocalist on The War is a Ghetto, uh, he was talking about, man, uh, he was reflecting on these cats who comprised the band War, you know, they, they're musicians, but they got a other life too. And then he said, man, Digital Underground had this song called It's a Good Thing That We're Rapping. Because <laughs> in that song, man, Humpty is just flowing. Hell yeah. I mean, he's just flowing poetic, but he's talking that Mac stuff, bro. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's breaking it down. And so just just little things like that, you know, you talk about his musicianship uh, again, th that, that's y'all's personal space. But what, what would you like the world to know about Shock G, man? This is your friend, man. What, what, what does the world not know but could benefit about knowing about the good brother Shock G? Man, he believed in what he was doing. He believed in, in, in his talent. He knew he was talented and he didn't uh he didn't quit bro he kept kept he kept grinding doing his thing yeah. and honing his skill he never stopped learning he never stopped playing i mean and uh, he i'm sure he was playing <laughs> the around the time he passed away and then you know touching that keyboard you know making up new music uh just a good person man uh i really like i don't know a lot of people here in the bay that have bad things to say about about him man i don't think he mm -hmm. did anybody you know too wrong maybe you know my man chaos he had beef with him but um, <laughs> yeah that you know yeah. that, that's a whole nother story that's a musical thing but as far as yeah. personal and what he did you know he just was hella chill dude like i said like you you he was he was approachable out here you know and like in the bay man it's kind of different i don't know how it is in like la and new york but mm -hmm. man like all the cats we got out here man you just you know just come up holler at him it ain't it ain't no big star thing we know we don't be tripping mm -hmm. on people like that man like mm-hmm Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you said that, bro. I'm so glad you said that because remember at the top I said I had a, a Tupac story? 
that, uh -huh. that, that kind of ties in with shock too because in 92 of course i was living in la at the time i'm with a crew called the soul children la we had this event at that time uh we're known now for an event called juju but back then we did an event called brown rice and barbecue and we debuted at <laughs> this, uh, barbecue pit right and so uh -huh. this was like circa 1992 the movie juice was out and popping oh and in walks uh tupac shakur man and uh, i was working behind the counter at the time this is our event that we're putting on we had these elixirs and we called one of them buzzed and we called the other one faded right so uh -huh. buzzed, if you just want to get a little lit but faded you just want to get knocked out it was strong and I, he asked you know what's in the drinks i was like yo it's this this and that he's like yo i want that one faded he said yo but i want, but I want two of them what? So, yeah so pot came through our event brown rice and barbecue got two faded uh hung out wait wait, wait hold on bro i need to know what, i need to know what's in that drink bro <laughs> man it was a combination of some fruit punch and the, the buzz had probably some uh Okay, the strongest one had rum. The other one had Bacardi. So okay. one of them, the, the I think the rum was in the buzz. The Not the one fifty one. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so because the faded had both. So the, that's what it was. Faded had both of them because that's why it was so strong. It was faded. Man. So he said, "Yo, I want two of them," and. Pac bought a drink from us, man, and it was so lovely, man. It was a packed house that night. We were so happy, and that was even before I Get Around came out. And so when the news hit that Shock had passed, you know, all of that came back to me, man. Shock right, produced right, right, I right. Get Around, you know? And so, again, like you said at the top, without Shock, we wouldn't have Tupac. You know, we wouldn't have had that uh, story as we know it. But again, you knew, you knew all these cats on such a different level, man. And so uh, just, just the tone of the city, I mean, I know uh you you're you know bred and raised in that city alone and i know you can't speak for the entire city but uh can you give us an idea of how the city is uh reeling because i know the memorial is planned for it's today, it's today actually okay okay yeah i just talked to i just talked to sleuth who was shocks um a manager he was i just talked to him yesterday he was on his way out there and um yeah, he 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 was flying out. I forgot where he was. He was he was in Mexico, then he went somewhere else. But yeah, so Sleuth Sleuth has this book called Hip Hop Tales, bro. If you haven't re read that, if you want to get some insight on digital, that's the book you want to read. It's called Hip Hop oh, Tales by Sleuth. Yes, bro. yes. He, he he talks about a lot of the Bay Area. Him coming out here from from Brooklyn and meeting Shock and. And, and and how he became shots manager sleuth was the coolest manager i ever met because he he don't be trying to act like he the man like a lot of managers try to act like they're the man but he sleuth was just like i'm sleuth boom boom uh, you know and you have to find out you what i didn't know you was a manager bro oh, yeah i'm the manager man <laughs> I love it. and so me and him have a real cool relationship we talk we talk uh uh all the time and um i'm yeah. in the book i'm in the book as well i got a little oh, story nice. in there and um but um, people get it twisted about California, man. That that I forgot to mention this earlier. Now that you're talking about Sleuth, uh, you know uh, Sleuth. I don't know him, but okay. but I, I appreciate what you're saying so much because when Pac came through years ago, you know he was just kicking it because you said they, these these cats from around the way. I mean they big stars to a lot of people, but they down to earth. And California, L.A., it's very down to earth. It gets a bad rap because people think it's Hollywood. They think it's right. A, Right, no people. You know, it's the, the, the real cats that are born and raised in LA, like me, we, we no, man, we, it's, it's the people that come from outside that make it 
<laughs> give a bad perception, but it's some real heads right, right, in right, LA, right. just like in Oakland, right? Oh, so, without a doubt, without a doubt, bro. Man. I mean, it's, it's real cats all over, man. Like even San Francisco, man, they get the reputation of, you know, the, the gay and all that. But, man, it's mm-hmm. straight hood cats in, in San Francisco. This place uh, in San Francisco, I won't even go, bro. I'm come like, on. I'm not going over there. Right. Without somebody I know, without somebody to give me a pass. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So he, I'm sure he wrote in the book about because you you were talking about Shock's brother Kent. Because what people don't know, well, it's it's out there now because Shock, right, right, right. You know that that whole thing with his brother and playing, pulling off the act on stage. Uh, do you do you have any insight on that? How they made that come to life on stage when people were like, "Is it Shock? Is it Humpty? Is it one the same? Both different?" We used to be cracking up because we all knew knew, <laughs> but but Kent looked almost identical to Shock. He just a little shorter than Shock. Wow. And um, if he throw that nose on you, I really you not gonna tell unless you just know the story. So we would be laughing because. A lot of people outside the Bay Area always thought it was two different people because of that video when Kent had it on and they could see them both together. So we'd be cracking mm. up, like. But I mean, I don't, I don't know if Kent, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think Kent rapped as as, as something. He just kind of worried, and then maybe shock would go and they would go in the back or something he'd come out and then he'd be humped or something who knows bro I, mm-hmm. I how it went down but you know right. kent's a great musician on his own he's a credible uh writer and guitar player and everything man he's, oh wow yeah, nice. wow he's, plays, out, he's out here in the bay yeah he plays a little rock guitar funk oh yeah he's right? a, he a wild boy is <laughs> that right oh, yeah. wow man so many stories so much rich history man and see uh, kent, kent never wanted shock to put him on either Look at that. He wanted to do his own thing. Ah. Now, if yes. anybody could have got put on and really like, oh my god, put him out or get a deal, it looked like Kent was trying to do that. Kent likes, and Kent, Kent's just a cool dude too, man. He's he they, I don't know, they family just got some coolness in their blood because Kent <laughs> is hella cool too, man. Hanging out with Kent, man, mm. at his beer fest uh, a couple years ago, and man, we were just out there kicking and get beers, chilling, man. You know. Mm. <laughs> wow. Cool. Yeah, you know, it's wow. Fun, well, I tell you, man, you 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 got some good energy, uh, just that that just emanates from you yourself, and you know the, these cats that you sharing stories about, man. I can tell uh, why they dug a cat like you, man. Uh, they they gave us so much. They gave us so much music, so many good things to be inspired from, and uh, we're gonna miss this, brother. I mean, that that just scratches the surface, you know, of what this whole thing means for you. Uh, by the time people hear this, uh, the memorial will have been over the weekend. And um, are, are you planning to uh, pay further respects uh, by attend, you know, attending it? Or no, no, I'm not going. It's it's going on probably right now. It's it's Saturday. It's going on now. Yeah. Um, I talked to Kent when he gets back. I'm like, we we need to do something out here in the Bay. You know, I'm not. Yeah. I, I don't like to travel, bro. I hate airplanes, bro. Okay. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but um, I'm. I'm pretty sure we're gonna put something together, like, but you know, like a celebration of life type thing, right? Out here, you right. know, more more than a funeral or um, thing. Oh, like absolutely. That. So, I mean, um, well, there's, there's a lot of people there. already paying tributes mm-hmm. uh, to him mm-hmm. on, on DJs and and on other platforms, uh, all over social media and all of that. So he's definitely. He's definitely getting his his, his flowers, you know. Yes, right sir. Now, but um, I, yes, I, sir. Uh, r- rather have him here than than, than all of this. Man. Man. Um, Tell me had, about it. 
you know, I, I can only imagine the music that he had. I'm thinking like, you know, he did, you know, he did a remix for Prince, bro. You know what I mean? Like this love guy, sign. Was it love? You know what sign? It is, you know, it's like, come on, bro. Like, yeah, man. it was so dope. Like it really matched, you know, like their, their energy. Like, man, that was dope. And I can only imagine because I'm thinking about how much Prince music he's releasing now. And I think mm -hmm. I'm sure Greg has. Well, he lost a lot in the fire. There was a fire here in the Oakland Hills some years ago, and he lost oh. a lot of hard drives. And that he that that really made him spiral a little bit. That that hurt him because oh, he had some man. incredible. I'm talking about incredible, incredible music. But I, I'm mm. sure he, he rebuilt some of his catalog, and um, hopefully Ken or some other people will will, will see fit to go in and um, remix or master and put some of that that music out. Because you know most of the artists that we know, man. The music that they put out, they, they've got hundreds and hundreds of more songs that we've never, ever heard. And they might not oh, yeah. think are great, but if we hear them, we might think they're the best song ever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I have to admit, I mean, I, I heard the song by Prince years ago. I didn't know Shock did that. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know. And you know what? He didn't make a big deal out of it either. That's the, the, <laughs> that's California. See, the real Californians, the, we, we like that, bro. We we not all about that rah-rah. It's like, look, he sounds like he was a real one, yo, a real right. one. Man, I'm going to miss him, man. I'm hurting for you. I'm hurting with you. Um, may this brother rest in paradise and may his music live on, good brother. What's the best way for people to keep in touch with you, good brother? You got anything coming up that you'd like the public to know about? goodness bro i mean how much time you got man you got <laughs> lay it on us brother i just i just released a solo album it's called the gospel uh, mm -hmm. i did it with these brothers from the uk um, named temper and during covid i was like man i was going crazy so I, this is the first time i ever got music from somebody where i wasn't in the studio with them and um then i mm -hmm. I, I went out and um recorded my vocals they sent me the music and i recorded the music uh with my man bars who was um a crazy uh, engineer grammy winner uh he he uh he engineered the, the fantastic negritos album he's out in el cerrito mm. for his thing so mm -hmm. i, I mm -hmm. leave it over there so i've been getting really good response from this project we're gonna start shooting videos for that i'm in the top 10 on trend city radio booming and got some some crazy stuff and um nice. I, got a, I got a hip learning project out as well called our world our planet where i'm talking about global warming and, and water rights and all of that so that's kind of what hip learning does and um so we're going to start shooting videos for that i just started a a video production company so we're going to start shooting our own videos we just got all this equipment so now we're in the learning phase brother learning mm -hmm. all this equipment mm -hmm. and everything and um and um then you know my my uh my nonprofit is uh, alternative mind foundations we help out a lot of artists uh with their contracts and things of that nature we help out the uh, disabled community the homeless community and um mm. man just 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 uh I'm, I'm you know i'm i'm an oakland dude man i'm out here just in my community um I'm eating that plant-based food now for about a year and a half, man. Uh, I'm riding on that. I never thought I would <laughs> would be like eating like that, but uh, mm -hmm. wow, mm -hmm. it, it really made me feel better. So I'm hoping everybody, you know, give it a try. I know everybody likes their fried food and all that stuff, but uh, you can you can make that plant-based go. Uh, so that's what I'm. I want to put that message out and um, right on. And, and, and I also want to say, you know, like you know, Shock had some some problems with with substances, and I really want people to know that you know you really need to stay away from from the substances they're, they're they're not ever going to really do you the greatest uh 
in the long run, you know, it mm. might be something you can deal with for a while. And we've all, you know, tried them out here. I don't know. I said we all, but you know, we've, mm-hmm. we've all done some, some of the stuff, uh, some of the people I'm around, but, um, mm-hmm. it's just, um, I just want the youth to know, you know, that you don't, you can get high off the air. You don't need, you don't need, you know, above and, um, Right. you know learn learn from these people man learn i mean yeah. we look we look we look at the greatest some of the greatest look at michael jackson one of the greatest went down with substances you know went down with the prescription drugs and i'm not just talking about you know drugs i'm talking about prescription pills stuff, man go natural you know get some herb get some tea you know talk mm-hmm. to acupuncturists you know like there are other ways to cope and deal than, mm-hmm. than, than drugs out here so that's the that's the message that i i want to um Put, put forth um uh, for everybody to, to to take in and um you know ingest that absolutely well that's going to be well received good brother a word to um all of our captive listeners out there uh that's the good word uh the good brother is naru quina uh bay area legend hip learning alternative minds uh good brother thank you so much for joining us and um my condolences for this loss, man. And like I said, may his music, as well as yours and your projects, along with your beautiful family, live on and prosper. Okay, good brother? Brother Rome, I really appreciate it. It's been an honor and a pleasure to meet you, brother. And um, anything I can do to like, you know, make your platform go, because uh, I've, I've listened to a couple of your things, man. You're doing a good job over there, bro. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet. At the intersection of funk and soul, my name is DJ Rome, and you know we're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. Check back with us. We shall return next week. Also want to thank our very special guests for the evening, Katina Watts, Lori Peacock, Aaron Wiley-Sands, Nicholas Mays, Dr. Chase Moore, and of course, the good brother, Naru Quina. Also want to send a very, very special shout out to Mr. Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care.